I'm always so encouraged, I have to mention this in just in terms of worship, by the richness of singing from the choir, from ourselves. I've mentioned this to you before when Paul is telling the Ephesians church to be filled with the Spirit. He immediately says, and addressing one another. And notice what we're addressing one another with. And it's not, this convicts me, it's not the sports scores or what's going on, but addressing one another in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs. So another way, part of what we're doing in worship is addressing one another with the rich doctrine, like our God reigns, that his praise and his glory will not fail, that even where Jesus is right now at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, his wounds for you and I, for those who have been called to him, are yet visible. By the eyes of faith, we still see his love. And we're strengthened to engage in the spiritual battle that we're called to because we're still walking. We're living in this age that still has the authorities, the powers, the principalities, the spiritual forces of evil over the darkness, engaging battle against their enemy, ultimately God, and all those who are in God, his church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We are still this morning focusing on verses 10 to 13. But I want to read the entire passage, verses 10 through 20. Let's turn our hearts, as the psalmist said, today if you hear his voice, which we do in his word, do not harden your hearts as our forefathers did. So let's have soft, tender hearts and come under the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Friends, this is God's word. Let's pray. Pause with me for a second as we seek the Lord and ask him to open our eyes and open our minds and our hearts as we approach the word of God this morning. We come before you seeking, Father, that you would give us your spirit to be our teacher that he would take your word, and as we know your word to teach, Jesus, that Jesus taught us, saying that the Spirit glorifies Jesus by taking what belongs to Jesus and making it known to us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show us the beauty and the majesty and the power and the glory of Christ this morning. Pray that your word of God would not be bound, but that your spirit would move in a mighty way, doing whatever it is that he wills in our midst to challenge, to comfort, to teach, that we might 
come under your word and be changed by your word. So illumine our lives and illumine our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me remind you of the quote by C.S. Lewis. I put it in your bulletins. I think it's your reflection this morning, but we looked at it last week a little bit. In his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, he writes, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. So in other words, what is Lewis saying? Avoid both extremes here. He's saying the first is to disbelieve in the devil's existence. So in other words, one error would say, oh, what an old wives' tale. A personal Satan, an accuser, a devil, that hogwash. The devil would love for us to think that on one hand. He says, but the other is to believe and to feel, listen to Lewis's words, an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The other equal and opposite arrow, they're under every chair, under every rock. Look at there's a devil there, and he's getting me there, and to live in constant fear and to have an obsession. Lewis says, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and would hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Paul allows us in this passage, he's a, he's a realist, and he allows us to fall into neither error. And in verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now notice something. When Paul says we do not wrestle against, in other words, human enemies, notice what he is saying. He's saying we do wrestle. No matter what, human beings are wrestling people. And there's an observation I want to make, and, and in a sense, in this morning's sermon, and I do promise we're going to finish Ephesians by the end of this month and have Christmas sermons and all of that fun stuff, but I want to camp on one verse this morning because this really struck me this, this week. We talked about it a little bit at our community group this past Wednesday, and I went home and went, I think I have to preach on this whole thing. If you were, I want you to picture something and pretend something. Take yourself 2,000 years and pretend you're part of the congregation at Ephesus. So you're coming and you're going to worship. You're gathering together with the calling of the saints and you're gathering together. And word comes, we have a letter to read from our apostle. He's in prison right now. He's in Rome. He's in jail. But he's written to us. And we're going to read that letter that he's written. And you're going, wow, the apostle Paul has written. So you're a member you're a man, you're a woman, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a boy, a girl, a child, and you're, we're going to hear from our apostle. And he's writing to you from jail. And from there, he says, and he's reading through, some representative is reading the letter and he gets to this part. And of course, there's not numbers and, you know, verses and chapters and all that was added later. You do recognize that. So the letter is read and you hear, you're sitting out there and you hear, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, if you heard this, how would you have heard this if you're a congregant, you're a member of the church at Ephesus in the first century world? You're a first century believer. You don't have the rest of the New Testament yet. You're gathered for worship and you heard we do not wrestle. You would have heard that's our name. That's our name because the idea of wrestling would automatically conjure up for a first century listener to the text, especially if you're a Jewish believer, a Jewish listener, you would immediately think of the Old Testament character Jacob, who on that night, and we're going to look at it a little bit, I'm going to refer to this in Genesis chapter 32, when he wrestled 
with a man at night, his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And Israel literally means wrestled or strive or struggled with God and prevailed. So as one commentator put it, in the context of the Bible, to disclose your name, Jacob's name, because in the text, the man who's the angel of the Lord asks Jacob, what is your name? Jacob says, my name is Jacob. He says, right. You know what Jacob means? It means heel grabber, fraud, deceiver. And he says, no longer will your name be Jacob, but your name be Israel. And this commentator says, in the context of the Bible, to discover your name would be an act of self-disclosure, a revelation of your character, your deepest identity. And so the very name of Israel means wrestle, struggle, and strive, and wrestle with God and prevails, which means you're now that first century hearer and you're reading this. You hear this for you have not wrestled, you'd be hearing that is your very name, the very name, because who is Israel? Israel in the New Testament is the church. The church is the new Israel, the new covenant people of God. We are Israel. That means our very identity is we are the ones who have wrestled with God and have prevailed. And that means before we ever get to battle and wrestle, you know, in a sense, in our battle against evil, we have to wrestle for our name. Wrestle for our identity. I want you to think about something. The text tells us, why can we wrestle with principalities and powers? Because we've already survived wrestling with God. We've wrestled with God, and we've come out on top. We've prevailed. We're victorious. Through Christ, but we're victorious. That is our name. That is our identity. Therefore, that is our confidence and our strength as we go out into the world battling the evil in ourselves, the evil in others, and the evil in the world. Remember that verse I quoted a few minutes ago? Paul says in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil. Yes, when we hear the news, we're hearing about evil. Don't, be, don't let it pass into you and be overcome by it. But overcome evil with good. How do we do that? How do we, I titled this morning's sermon, Dress for Battle. And I'll tell you something, we're going to title next week's sermon, Dress for Battle. Because in a sense, what we're going to talk about this morning is how do I prepare for dressing for battle? Because in a sense, you dress for battle with the armor. But how do you prepare for dressing for battle? Think about it. When I got up this morning and I dressed for battle, I think I dressed well for battle this morning. What did I do beforehand? I prepared for it. I took my shower. I shaved. I got ready. Ladies, I see my wife do this all the time. If she's going out, what does she do? She's putting on mascara, and she's putting on makeup, and she's doing all that. And I, of course, try to be a good husband. I go, Evie, you're beautiful without that. You don't need all that. See? Good husband. But she still does the mascara and the makeup. You dress for battle, and then before that, you prepare to dress for battle. Friends, you need to dress for battle, but you even need to prepare to dress for battle. And how do you need to prepare? You need to know your name. You need to know your identity. And you need to remember your identity as new Israel, as those who have wrestled with God and prevailed. And this text, 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, alluding back to the story of Jacob, and I'm going to allude back to it, I'm going to go back to it, tells us that there are two things we need to do in wrestling for identity. We need to wrestle out of our weakness, and we need to wrestle out of grace. You need to remember your weakness. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Don't go in your own strength. You need to remember your weakness, and Jacob will teach us that. And then you need to wrestle and remember the power of grace. The Jacob story is fascinating because I think oftentimes we think of the Bible and we think to myself, oh, got to learn the characters of the Bible, these great giants of the faith, so that I can emulate them and imitate them. Uh, time out for a second. Have you ever studied the characters of the Bible? Have you ever looked into their eyes and seen who they really are? I mean, think about Jacob for a second. That guy was really a scoundrel. <laughs> Very name means heel grabber. He stole his brother's birthright, stole the blessing, deceived his way into the blessing. In fact, you know, did all sorts of things. And so if we recognize the Bible is not there to show us Here's how to live a good life. Do the best you can. Live real good, and then you get blessed. No, 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 no. The purpose of the Bible, the revelation of God, is to show us how to meet God, whose grace we need, and we need it to live a new life. It's there to show us how God came down. Doesn't expect us to come up to him. How God came down into the lives of people who don't deserve his grace, don't really seek his grace, and let's be honest, folks, even after we've got it, we really don't appreciate his grace all that much. And it's showing us to whom he still gives his grace. And the Bible is there to show us that truly to wrestle with God and to prevail is you will not be unchanged. I'm reminded, I've shared with you many times before, my favorite novel, my favorite book outside the Bible is The Lord of the Rings. One of my favorite parts of the Lord of the Rings is the fellowship, the company. They're coming into the ancient land of the elves called Lorien. And it's a dangerous land. And one of the company, you know, you had hobbits, you had elves, you had dwarves, and you had men. And one of the men, his name was Boromir. And Boromir, he did CrossFit, Shane, I'm sure. He was a hulking man. He was a striking man and stuff. And yet he's coming in, and he's timid, and he's apprehensive. And he's a little bit, he's coming into this land, that's unknown, it's unpredictable. He's heard so much about, he's having a conversation with his fellow human, Aragorn. And he says to Aragorn, he says, Aragorn, but of that perilous land, we have heard much in our land of Gondor. And it is said that few come out who once go in. And of that few, none have escaped unscathed. Aragorn replies to him, O Boromir, say not unscathed, but if you say unchanged, then maybe you will speak the truth a divine encounter. And friends, that's what God wants. The Bible is not a revelation about God. It is not a textbook. He's not there just to give you information about him. He is there to come into your life. It is a revelation of him. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you may know God. And that is a personal covenantal word. It's actually a very strong word, actually a very sexual word says that you may know God and know me whom God has sent. God didn't send Jesus for us just to know about him, but to know him. And remember that the battle is the Lord's, not ours. 
So to prepare to dress for battle, we need to remember it's his battle, not ours. And in this story, so Jacob doesn't leave unchanged. He's approaching, think about this, he's approaching a time of crisis in his life. He's about to meet his brother that he hasn't seen for 20 years. And he gets alone to think and reflect and prepare. And while he does there, and recognize C.S. Lewis was right, we don't have a tame God. You look at the story in Genesis 32, and what do you have? Jacob, after this years of running and years of running from God, is moving towards him, and what does God do? In the person of an angel of the Lord, God meets him at night, and what does he do? He wrestles with him. He clobbers him. He jumps him. He assaults him. And through this kind of power touch, because all he did was touch the socket of his hip, he maims him for the rest of his life. Matter of fact, Dan Allender has written a leadership book that I've read it before and it scares me to read it again, I'll be honest. It's called Leading with a Limp, reflecting on the Jacob story. And what do we learn here? See, remember we're talking about being prepared to dress for battle, to go out into the battle against evil in us, in others, and in the world. And Tim Keller writes, he says, what we learn here in this story is that God has to wrestle us into a transformed life, not comfort us into a transformed life. Oh, how I wish it was comfort us into a transformed I wish I had every, could just be always comfortable, getting along, everything kind, everything working well, and just kind of automatically be transformed into Christ-likeness. Don't you wish that? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It doesn't work that way, does it? And do you realize what the purpose of sanctification is? We always quote Romans 8.28, don't we? That says, and we know that in all things, God is at work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we often stop there. See, God's at work for good, my good, to those who love him. I love God and called according to his purpose. Did you ever think to read ahead what his purpose is? Because verse 29 defines his purpose. It says, and those God foreknew, he also predestined to, here's what he predestined you for. See, we always want to fight about election. Do you ever look at the purpose of election? You've been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That means everything God is doing in your life right now. Every situation, every circumstance, every interaction, every relationship, Every battle, everything you're going through is for the purpose of making you like Jesus Christ. And we learn from the Jacob story, God, for the most part, has to wrestle us into that conformity to Christ-likeness, not comfort us into that transformation. Tim Keller goes on to say, he says, God becomes, out of love, the enemy of your old self. The self that is not built on God and brings you into weakness so that you can wake up and begin to grow in your new self. Prepare to dress for battle by remembering your identity, by remembering that your very name is Israel. Your name is wrestled with God and God is wrestling you into weakness to transform you into Christ-likeness. See, and what else do we learn from the Jacob story? See, we look at this, he has to wrestle him into transformation. But what exactly is Jacob wrestling for? 
The text tells us in Genesis 32 that what, what Jacob is wrestling for, and he's been wrestling for all his life, is blessing. Now, you might be thinking, blessing? We've got blessings all around us. We have our home and our family and our clothes. And, good, and yes, they're wonderful gifts. But that's not blessing in the ultimate sense. See, we need to understand what blessing really is. See, blessing is not a subjective, my team won, I'm happy. I feel blessed. Blessing is the objective favor and declaration from God that you are okay that you are favored, that you are somebody. See, think about it from Jacob's whole life. Jacob's never been convinced of his own value. So he wrestled with everybody to fill that inner hole. And he was always using God as a means to that end. God, if you'll help me get the blessing, if you'll help me get the inheritance, if you'll help me get Rachel, then, and finally, God meets with him at night gives him the power touch and says, Jacob, you think you've been wrestling with all of these things, but the one you've been wrestling with is me. Friends, do you recognize that you have been wrestling? See, it's part of your identity. You have been wrestling all your life. Some of you think you've been wrestling for the approval of your parents. Some of you think, if I only had success at work, I'd be a somebody. If only I had fill in the blank. We are all wrestling for blessing. But here's the question. How do we get the blessing? How do we get that declaration of God that we're somebody? That we're, C.S. Lewis called it, we're in the inner ring. You're in the inner circle. How do you get that? And that is you have to wrestle out of grace. Very interesting in the Jacob story, and forgive me, I should have had this printed up for you. But in Genesis 32, verse 30, Jacob says, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. See, Jacob is at the same time here. His name's been changed. He's survived, and he's astonished. He's dumbfounded. He's blown away. He's excited. He can't believe it. He's gone, I've seen the face of God, and... I'm still here. I've been spared. I've been delivered. See, what's going on? What's going on is he knows the kind of life he's led. He's saying, how can God accept someone like me? How can God bring me, the loser, in? I've been a fraud. I've been a heel grabber. I've been a deceiver. And God is sparing me? How could God do that? How can the holy come near and bless and as we move on in Ephesians 6, and even use in the battle against evil, the battle of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness, he can use even me? That's unheard of. That's unthought of. The answer, of course, is found. In the text in Genesis, it says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him. Time out here. That's crazy. In absolute term, God couldn't overpower Jacob? Uh Who's omnipotent here and who's not? He could have just smacked them one time and wiped them off the face of the earth. So what's going on? What's going on is God purposely, voluntarily, 
intentionally made himself weak so that he would fail to overpower Jacob. In other words, he didn't fail by choosing to fail. He didn't lose Jacob because his ultimate goal was to win Jacob and to rename him Israel and have him be the people of God who struggle with God and prevail so that he could use that people, a people purified for himself, that eventually become the church in the battle, not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of darkness. And he did it on the cross by choosing to fail himself. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says that he, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. See, what happened on the cross? Jesus gave up the blessing. No one had the blessing of God like Jesus. The objective favor, delight, deferment, glory of God, and Jesus gave it up so that you and I could have it. So that you and I could never lose it. Part of our wrestling out of grace has to is to recognize we've got to quit wrestling for everything else we've been wrestling for all our lives. You've got to, in a sense, get off that perpetual hamster's wheel where you've been wrestling to be somebody and wrestling for approval, wrestling to be liked, wrestling to be popular, wrestling to be somebody, wrestling to be, if I could only be accepted by that group of friends, if I could only have my 401k workout, if I could only have my health, if I could only have my grandchildren like me, if I could only have, get off the wheel, stop wrestling, recognize Jesus. And what did Jesus do on the cross? See, the man who wrestled with Jacob only gave him the power touch, but the full weight of the blow of justice fell upon Jesus so that we only get the power touch. The full weight of judgment. Do you realize what Jesus got on the cross? Jesus got in your and my place. He got the wrath and the punishment and the justice, the furious determination of God to put all things right. Jesus took it upon himself. Jesus is the ultimate Jacob. Jesus is the ultimate Israel. Jesus is the ultimate church who wrestled with God and prevailed so that we now, as the body of Christ, united to Christ, mystically one with Christ, battle, not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, because, again, as Colossians says, for you have died. That means all your other wrestlings for approval and being good enough, you've died to them. When you came to Christ, for you have died. And where is your life now? It is hidden. I love the language of this. It is hidden. And if it's hidden, it's safe. It's secure. No one can take it. And where is it hidden? It is hidden with Christ in God. So when you go out to battle, and before you put the armor on, prepare to put the armor on by putting your identity on that is hidden with Christ in God, and now you are ready to not be overcome by evil, but by your love and your forgiveness and your justice and your goodness, and by bearing the fruit of the Spirit, you are ready to overcome evil with good, the church being the church. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Dress for battle, and before you dress for battle, prepare to dress for battle. And how? By remembering who you are in Christ. 
Remember your identity. Remember your name. Your name is Israel. Struggle with God and prevail. Why prevail? Because he wrestled with God ultimately and took the brunt so you could be hidden with Christ in God. And because you are in him, you can face anything. Let's pray. Lord, I, be, I pray that we would be a people who would not only be willing to battle, but we would prepare for taking battle and do so by remembering our identity, remembering that we have died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. So help us to remember that union with you is greater than any other union we can seek. Help us to remember that if we're hidden with Christ in you, Father, we can face anything. doesn't mean it won't devastate us or hurt us, but we can face that. We're secure. We're safe. We're hidden with Christ in God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.